Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Karen Reggie, the CIO of the Director of Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. Karen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. This is your first time in, uh, on the program. We've had plenty of State Department officials before, but for, for the Director of the Defense Trade Controls, you are a, a new person, which is a rarity these days, it seems like, so <laughs> I appreciate the fact you're here. Let's just start at the very beginning. The Director of the Defense Trade Controls, what do you guys do? What's your mission? All right. Well, we are in charge of ensuring that commercial exports of defense services and defense articles advance national security as well as foreign policy objectives. Okay, so commercial export. So if I'm exporting a technology, a, a, a product, all of the above? Yeah, and, and, and I say commercial because the Department of Defense takes care of the government to government. Someone wants to buy an airplane, a right. fighter jet. exactly. That's not your problem. Well, if it's a commercial well. <laughs> sale, it is, but not if it's um, a foreign military sale. Well, hopefully no one's buying commercial uh, uh, fighter planes. That's maybe a different discussion. <laughs> and, and one of the things you guys do at the Defense Trade Controls is it's an internal and external facing bureau in many ways of the State Department. Your customers are, are a lot of companies who are trying to export, and then you also have the, obviously, internal group. So let's start with the support, the CIO, your role is to do what for the the different groups? We have about 250 internal employees, combination of civil servants and contractors and military uh, detailees. And so they constitute our internal group. And then we have 13,000 companies that are registered uh, to as regulatees. Um, and, and really, the best way to describe the directorate is it's really a regulatory agency within the State Department. And so we have many, many more external constituents. And these are companies, defense companies that, you know, Lockheed and Boeing and, you know, all, all of the household names, um, and also much smaller companies that do parts and, you know, different components or might be subcontractors to some of these large companies. Uh, and maybe this gets into the weeds of procurements. You'll forgive me. I, I'm a little bit of a procurement nerd sometimes, mm -hmm. but there's a far definition of commercial good products and services. Is that what helps define what you guys, who you work with, or do you have a different definition? There's a different, <laughs> different definition. And there's a lot of definitions. Yeah. Um, and we're regulated by the ITAR. I mean, that's our regulations, and that's what we're doing. And, and really, it's, um, you know, you can have commercial sales of these types of, you know, really massive types of equipment, but they might be going to a, a, a foreign country and, and even to the government. And then you have uh, the Defense Department that takes care of all the foreign military sales. So that's kind of the distinction okay. between the two. You threw me an acronym, I'm gonna have to ask you. ITAR? ITAR stands for International Traffic and Arms. All right, excellent. I'm glad you pulled that out of the hat. That was excellent. <laughs> well, let's talk about identity management because that's the focus of the show today for, for the most part. And you, so you have two sets of customers who you have to ensure that they're the right people who are coming to the site and, and logging on and doing whatever they need to do. You have internal customers and external customers, so let's start internally. When you talk about identity and access management, what's your strategy for those internal folks? The Department of State, like any other federal agency, has the PIV card. So, I mean, that's the first piece, you know, a single identity uh, using the PIV card. And what we have done is used Okta for our roles-based management in our system for internal. So, you use the PIV card, there's a layer of two-factor authentication there, and then from there, we have roles-based um, that is within Okta. 
And so we have several different systems, but we have a single identity management and access control software. When you talk about, so I understand PIV, obviously we know HSPD 12, it's been around, it's pushing 15 years, if you can believe that, the initial uh, uh, HSPD when it was signed out. And then obviously multi-factor authentication, we understand that. So what's the roles base, which is interesting to me, because that's been the nirvana of identity management. It's not just, okay, do we know who Karen Reggie is, but what does she actually have access to? And, that, and that's, that's, what, right. that's what you, so Karen can see this, but not change it. Correct. Karen yes. can see this and change it, and Karen can't see this at all. Right, so, and also, you know, Karen can um, authorize an action, right? So that's even another role, a management role, where, you know, they can authorize the registration or authorize the license. So it's the drafter, you know, who, who gets to make changes and who just gets to review it. And so those types of roles um, we have implemented, not in the individual applications, which is normally the way historically we've done it, but we're doing it in the platform, in the single place, and, and so it makes it much less complicated and much more seamless um, you know, to administer and to make sure that we have the right people looking at the right things. Walk me through maybe how that works, because if, if I'm one of your employees and I have certain roles, you you and I, you decide my roles, I decide my roles, what, what, how does that work? I mean, we have different offices, and, and for the most part, the read-only access, we try to allow as many people as possible to have read-only access within the directorate. But then in terms of who can actually make modifications or approve things, those are established by the business units that we support on the IT side. And you talked about this is less complex than maybe doing application by application. Is that because you're putting a set of, if you will, parameters on that platform that tag back to the application? Because I guess not knowing the intricacies of the technology, I would say, well, don't you want to do it application by application? But of course, that, as you said, that maybe is more complex. So walk me through just a little bit at a high level how the, how the system works, if you can. The reason why we want to have the access management in one place is that even though we have separate applications, the roles and responsibilities um, within each of those applications in our instance are the same. You wouldn't want to do this if there were differences in terms of you know, what access a particular person would have in a system. In, for example, the registration system, everybody can have read-only access to it, and the licensing analysts and specialists would have, would be able to establish comments on it, maybe send a, a comment over to the industry, for example, saying, you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. And so these systems are also interactive. You know, and, and so I think that, that the way that, the more you can simplify this, the better you can manage who has access to what. And what you really want is people to have right access only to that, you know, you want this least privilege. You, you want to be sure that the people who are looking at the data, who are modifying the data, you know, that, that you're making good choices and that it's easy to administer when, with onboarding and offboarding and people moving from department to department, which happens a lot in these settings. Is the fact that everyone's kind of coming to one place, meaning there's a bunch of applications, but everyone's on that one platform, does that make it easier to kind of put this identity management controls across it versus if if everyone wasn't kind of focused into one area, if it was much more disparate, if, if you had certain 
applications that did financial management, another application that did HR, and then another one that did mission, that'd be more difficult to do? Like, are you, are you special? I guess this no, is a we're question. Not You're not special. And, <laughs> and we're not special. And I also know that, you know, Okta, you know, it has role-based management. And, yeah. and I think a lot of, uh, at first, I was a little suspicious. Is this actually going to work? I mean, so suspicious, as a, as a matter of fact, that I really didn't want to deploy this across the board. And it wasn't really until I started to fail at trying to do it in application. each app, application by application. And it was taking a long time, and it was complicated, and it was not very seamless, which was what I was hoping for, that I decided to change course and said, let's give this a whirl. They're telling me it's going to work, <laughs> um, and this isn't working. So, you know, let's refocus, and, and let's see how this works. And I have been, you know, really happy with the results of it. That, that's an awesome example. I mean, so often you hear people try something, and they're so wedded to that approach that they don't want to change. And, and it's, it's really, I think, uh, refreshing to hear you say, we, yeah, I had a path in mind, and the path was not a good path. <laughs> so we switched, and, and we found a better path. Was that hard to do internally or, or personally? I mean, Yeah, it was personally hard yeah. because the Octo representative told me the first day, this is how you should be doing it. And I was like, I'm not doing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I'm not doing that. That doesn't make any sense. And I come from a software background. So I was in the private sector and the government, and I said, I'm not doing that. And then about, I don't know, months later, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, really, need to do, I really need to consider this. And it was hard, yeah. but it took me about a day and a half to say, this is the right thing for the mission, and, and I need to bring these guys back, and I need them to help me figure this out. It, it's the old, at least you fail fast, right? Yeah, you fail you, you fast. learn quickly, this won't work, better move on. I want to definitely go into the external set of customers, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about it, but we're going to uh, have to take a quick break. So one quick question that the internal folks that you deal with, do they like this approach, or what, what kind of feedback do you have from them in terms of, wow, this makes life easy, single sign-on, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, we had really legacy, very difficult systems to deal with, so we didn't have to go too far to, to have them be happy. And, and I think as we make improvements, they'll be even happier. Well, are you guys at the single sign-on or not quite? Yeah, we oh, are. Okay. We are. I mean, beyond yeah. the PIV, they get you on the network, but exactly. on those apps. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, Karen, let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can talk about your external customers, which really is a much, as you said, much bigger pool, something like 13,000 people. My guest is Karen Reggie, the CIO of the Directorate of the Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. The U.S. Navy needs a multi-mission frigate, so they turn to the experts. Fincantieri Marinette Marine is a proud partner of the Navy. We took the world's most capable and innovative multi-mission frigate in operation today and made it tougher, more survivable, more lethal. Our American-made frigate will meet or exceed every exacting Navy standard, providing a destroyer-like capability at half the cost. Our sailors deserve the best ship our nation can afford because tomorrow's battles will not be won with yesterday's ships. Fincantieri Marinette Marine. Do you hear that? That's a cyber attack about to take down a national power grid. The only thing standing between it and its target? You. As a Raytheon cyber professional, you'll protect vital networks and work on the forefront of cyber operations. We're looking for qualified software and systems engineers, vulnerability researchers, cyber threat analysts, and more to make the world a safer place. Visit Raytheon.com slash cyberjobs today. 
The success of any team is a reflection of its leadership. Get the tools to meet the special challenge of leading teams in the public sector with Graduate School USA's Team Leader Certificate Program. The program helps individuals develop the necessary skills to lead and manage effective teams and prepare leaders to leverage the power of teams to provide solutions to problems, drive innovation, and enhance organizational capabilities. Earn the tools for success at Graduate School USA. Visit graduateschool.edu LSM. Not affiliated with the federal government. Diana got some really bad news from the IRS. They said, you owe quite a bit of money. They told me the possibilities of garnishing my wages, taking my house, taking my car. Diana found out about Optima Tax Relief. They've resolved over a billion dollars for their clients. Optima Tax saved my life. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. For details, visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Qualcomm believes the world should move in one direction, forward. They introduced the world to 3G and 4G, and now they've unlocked 5G. And with it, the invention age. That means smartphones with unprecedented mobile speeds. Cars will connect to each other and virtually everything around them. And your PC will be as connected as your smartphone. Learn more about the invention age at Qualcomm.com slash weinvent. From PR to paid programs, learn what marketing is working for government contractors. Federal News Network. Search Amtower Off Center. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Karen Reggie, the Chief Information Officer for the Director of Defense Trade Controls at the Department of State. Now, Karen, before break, we were talking about internal customers and identity and access management. Let's move external. Uh, you said you have something to the effect of 13,000 industry customers, and they range from large customers like Boeing or Lockheed to small companies that maybe are exporting a part or a piece of a part. So how does identity access management work for them? Well, that's, a, that's more complicated. So, <laughs> what? It usually well, is when yeah. there's 13,000 compared <laughs> right. to 250, but that, right. I'm so, no expert. In our legacy systems, we had a requirement for anyone who was signing an application for a license to export had to have a digital cert. And so what we decided was to keep that requirement as we move to the cloud. Uh, because a lot of our industry participants were really concerned about identity as much as we were concerned about identity. They wanted to make sure that there was no one that could go in and ask for a license that wasn't someone bona fide from their company. So what we did is we incorporated, we, we put this requirement out to Okta. When, when, right before the break, I was saying how you know I had sort of gone down this road and it was complicated and we decided to go back and see if Okta could handle this. And one of the things that they weren't ready at that time was the, this digital cert requirement. And so what they did is they modified the software to allow us to continue to use these digital certs. So they had the capability for PIV cards and, and other types of authentication, but they didn't have it at that point for these digital certs. And so that was, to me, a game changer because when they decided to do that, I felt like we were gonna actually be able to very quickly be able to secure the data. So what, what the industry participant does is they, they start by enrolling in Okta. That's the very first step is to enroll in Okta. And then each industry participant has 
a self-appointed corporate administrator. And that corporate administrator is responsible for all the roles-based permissions for their company. So they don't come to us to ask for the role. They go to the corporate administrator, and the corporate administrator goes into Okta again and, and does the role-based permissions there. And then we have another layer because we have an advisory group called the Defense Trade Advisory Group. And what they said is that there's a requirement that companies and universities want to be able to segregate out certain licenses into certain groups, that only certain people have access to these licenses and other people have access to these licenses. So that might be by department, it might be by subsidiary, it might be departments in a university. And so we built into the application at this point, in the licensing application, the capability for that corporate administrator to go in and separate out licenses, separate out data at the record level, and allow users to be part of those groups, allowing them to have complete control over who sees their data. So the digital certificates, are we talking about like PKI certs? Are we talking about something above that, like a, like a hash where you know, your sides and their side are shaking hands to, to complete the, the certificate? The, the digital cert that we used for our legacy system was an ACES cert. It was, it was um, sold uh, by Identrust, and it was of the credential for a, mo a FISMA moderate. Okay. And so we're, we're doing more products now. We're allowing for other vendors to come in, and we have three different vendors, DigiCert, Identrust, one other that I can't remember. But, but all the products have to be at the FISMA moderate level, uh, and so the industry, each user that is going to sign a license has to get one of these digital certs. I mean, that's not digital. That requires a notary, you know, a whole bunch of forms being filled out, FedEx envelope. You know, it's, it's not ideal, but, but it's the first step for us um, to make sure that we have the identity. And, and in the future, we're actually looking toward more digital solutions um, that will provide the same surety that we are grasping the identity of the person that is actually signing these licenses. That's why we all still depend on passwords and usernames in our personal life because getting that digital cert is just too difficult. We see a lot of movement in like stuff like derived credentials, right? Correct. And we yes. see a lot of movement. There was a push, I remember, years ago for SAML, mm -hmm. the SAML 2, and right. I'm not sure what they're up to now. Are those the type of things you guys are looking at? Well, I mean, from the external perspective, you know, we're looking for Okta to partner with folks that can do that identity proofing. And then it would be a digital experience. And I think that's where Okta is moving. And so I'm very interested in their roadmap with respect to that, because that's a huge piece of our requirements for our external users. And, and then we have an additional problem, which is that some of the riskiest of movements of these exports can happen when it's already out of the country. So what that's called is a retransfer of a munition. And so in that instance, there's no good identity proofing. I mean, digital certs are not for every country in the land, yeah. right? And so those folks have to request, and we, we have no good way of, of identity proofing them. And so that's another piece that we are really looking for solutions 
is how to identi identity proof you know people outside of the country. If I bring up the word blockchain, you wouldn't get mad, would you? Not at all. I mean, that seems like all. they obviously right. Yes. Or distributed yes. ledger, is right. better called now. Yeah. So yeah. It, all right, maybe it's something to talk about later in the program. One of the other things that came to mind as you kind of went through the process is this idea of. They get the digital cert, but then they have to come into your system as well. Right. And, and then they have to either sign off on something or approve something or however the process works. So you have to make sure that those digital certificates that they're getting can shake the hand of your system. Yes. And then your system also, does it have to do any sort of security look, any sort of like, like it's the balance, I guess, of accessibility and security? So there's a process where we have to get the digital cert credential and have it on our system. And then... From there, it's it's very easy for people to actually use that digital cert through Okta to obtain authorization to get to get into the system. But before that, the corporate administrator has to give that user permissions to do that signing, and that signature role is called the empowered official. And so, so there is a process associated with that. And a lot of the work, you know, I, I like to say that in terms of each individual uh, defense company or or you know, whatever, you know, university or company that we're dealing with, that they are in the best position to determine who can see what and, and, and how they should see it and, and what role they should play. And so a lot of the complexity of the user management for the external users, we've pushed back out into the, out, out to the industry. From your perspective as the CIO, if, if you're kind of pushing back a lot of the oversight, if you will, of, of the actual cert and, and the ability to read and, and look and make decisions, what does that mean for your systems though internally? Because all that data, all that is, is internal to you. Are you depending on people like Okta and, the, and your digital cert providers to meet a certain level and, and kind of you audit them and you look at them and decide if they're meeting the requirements that you've laid out? Walk me through a little bit about. I think the, the easiest way to answer this question is that because the data is so sensitive, industry can only see what industry puts in. What's their, right? their What's data. Theirs, right? right. And so the systems have to be built in such a way that no one could see somebody else's data. So it's simple from the standpoint that that's why we can put sort of all the responsibility on the company to determine of your data, how is your organization going to work with this data in terms of role-based management? Let me, put, let me try to put a finer point on this. What does it mean for you as the CIO of the uh, Defense Trade Controls when you guys are building the system, right? You have to build it in a certain way or you have to oversee it in a certain way. I guess I'm just trying to kind of go the next level down because if the onus can't only be on the contractor, right? The onus has got, there's, you have some of the responsibility too, right? Well, we do, but I see our responsibility as building a system that allows uh, that, other th that, that other side to do what they need to do. Yeah. And so that was not inconsequential in mm -hmm. terms of even going down to the record level. I mean, that, that required us to do the programming to allow for that. But I, I will say that, that not having to, from scratch, build <laughs> the user management role-based piece and the two-factor oh. authentication, you know, it's like, I really feel like it's like we just push the easy button. Yeah. That has always been the hardest piece. I think, I think agencies can buy or build or, or develop good systems, but getting that role-based. I mean, we've been talking about role-based authentication for years. I mean, I remember writing a story, I don't know, say like 2007, 2008, about back, the back-end user you know, authentication. There was a pilot with GSA and the old information-sharing environment, and 
it just never could kind of get it past that pilot stage. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was at the Federal Communications Commission a long time ago when the auction program, I was in charge of the auction program, and we had the RSA tokens. We were one of the first federal users of RSA tokens, where we'd have to mail out the RSA token, and these were people that were going in to bid. And, and so, you know, we needed to make sure that the right people had access right, <laughs> to, right. To, to make billion-dollar bids. They fixed that. Now it's an app on your phone. <laughs> That's, That's what right. I use. Exactly. exactly. Karen, let's take a quick break. We get back. We can uh, uh, continue our conversation. We can talk more about the customer expectations and meeting customer experience goals. My guest today is Karen Reggie, the Chief Information Officer for the Director of the Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. At Amentum, every day our dedicated team keeps government's most critical programs running safely and effectively. From nuclear operations and environmental remediation to mission support and sustainment, from threat mitigation to mission assurance, in critical infrastructures, facilities, and ranges here and abroad. With our culture of safety and operational excellence, we apply our experience, passion, and purpose to help our customers achieve their mission. We are Amentum. Experience. Passion purpose. Here's Donald Heckman from the Department of Defense on the Federal Executive Forum on Cybersecurity Strategies for Defense and Homeland, sponsored by Palo Alto Networks. Everything, devices, processes, and people are identified and inspected for compliance before they're allowed to connect. Data is protected at rest and in transit, and uh, we're leveraging automation and machine learning to allow our net defenders to effectively operate at net speed. To listen to the whole program from Treza Media Group, log on to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Federal Executive Forum. Prevent every cyber attack that you can. For any that you can't, detect and investigate quickly. Automate response and get smarter with each incident. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. Manage risk across the entire federal enterprise architecture with Palo Alto Networks. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit paloaltonetworks.com government. What is the greatest gift you can give the world? The gift of hope. Trees for the Future has a sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and bettering the planet. Through Trees for the Future's regenerative agricultural method, the Forest Garden Approach, they teach impoverished farmers in developing countries how to plant themselves out of poverty by creating thriving ecosystems made up of over 60 species of trees and over 30 varieties of fruits and vegetables. Farmers can maximize crop yields to provide consistent income and nutrition for their families. In the last 30 years, tens of millions of trees have been planted and thousands of farmers have successfully revitalized their degraded land. When you give, you give hope for our planet and its people. Find out how to plant seeds of hope this season at trees.org radio. That's trees.org radio. A tree can change a life. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Karen Reggie the CIO of the Director of Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. Now, Karen, before break, we are talking about the access and security and how ensure you kind of find that right balance. The other piece of this, I think, is the cloud. And as more and more agencies are moving to the cloud, as more and more agencies are putting applications in the cloud and then need the identity management overlay or, or some, some sort of connection, there's a, always a concern about the complexity. You guys seem to have maybe have found the, the right piece to fit in the right puzzle. Walk me through your cloud strategy and how it kind of fits with your identity management strategy. 
I would consider the identity management sort of the, the, the center of the wheel. And then we, we actually have a lot of different cloud platforms that we use. We're using ServiceNow for a lot of our ITSM, IT service management, and all kinds of internal requests. We also use it for self-service for our industry customers. And, and we also have a lot of scoped apps, uh, which are custom-built applications in ServiceNow for some of the smaller uh, requests that come in from industry that get worked by internal people. So we have the ServiceNow piece. We also use Box, and that is uh, a lot of these applications contain numerous applications. Uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, numerous attachments. So by far, that is the largest piece of our data set is combination of technical data, uh, all sorts of different types of documents, sometimes schematics, you know, all sorts of documents. And so we we house those in Box. And so that's just another another cloud platform. And then we also use Tableau. And that's, of course, to do dashboards and reporting and that sort of thing on all of our data. And then we have these custom apps that are in Microsoft Azure Government Cloud. So my view when I came in five years ago was, I want everything to be on the cloud. And, and part of that was that coming from a very small part of, you know, I'm the Director of Defense Trade Controls, which is part of the pol political military bureau that's part of the Department of State. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sort of felt like it was the way to go doing it in the cloud. And I had worked with other federal agencies already doing things in the cloud. And so I wanted to sort of figure out from my counterparts um, in the main IT area, you know, what, what's, your, what's the vision for the cloud? And at that time, five years ago, you know, they were just starting to think about it. And I had already sort of thought about it. And I was kind of looking for what's out there that I can use, that I can deploy quickly so that I can get off of all of this legacy equipment, all of this legacy applications, and start doing a better job of the mission. One of the things that, that comes to mind is we kind of just kind of finish up our discussion on identity management and we go into something more broader is being able to spread the whether it's the Okta solution or whichever one you, you ended up choosing across all those cloud providers makes, again, the customer, meaning your employees or industry, easier because it's, it's, again, the single sign-on piece. It's one path to get to those applications. It, it was, was that was so attractive to kind of as you move to the cloud, you could then overlay the, the Okta solution or, or, again, the identity management solution? That's exactly what happened. And so my error originally was saying, I don't think that you can integrate with my custom applications. And so I was forcing two sets of logins, right? People hate that, by the People way. People hate that. I don't yeah, know. I, no, mean, no. I know. I'm no expert. <laughs> and it didn't even work very well. Oh, okay. And so that was when I said, you know, I got to take this leap of faith. And I've got to do this all in Okta because people are not, I mean, I'm not going to like this. Mm -hmm. um, and if I were an industry person, I would say, who is that? Why, why would you do that, right? And that was sort of that pivot point where I said, this is just not going to work. And it seems so obvious now that I'm not even really sure, you know, how I made that mistake. <laughs> why, why were you there? <laughs> why was I even there? Because, you know, I have a lot of experience <laughs> in cloud and I have a lot of experience in building software. So um, it's really humbling, you know, when when I think back at, at that sort of faux pas. Again, I appreciate the fact you're able to kind of tell that story a little bit because I think a lot of times people are so sure about what the direction they want and then when, when things kind of, they realize it's not the right direction, they're able to, if you're able to back off 
back off and say, okay, what's really the broader picture? So it's obviously working now. Uh, where are you with those legacy apps? Eight of them total, are, are they all in the cloud? Are they almost all in the cloud? Yeah, we're <clears> really <throat> close. We have a February, uh, President's Day weekend, February 18th, Tuesday, February 18th, we're going to deploy the final bits of the defense export control and compliance system. It's called DEX, D-E-C-C-S. Into the cloud, obviously. Into the yeah. cloud, yes. And then uh, you'll be modernized, so to speak, and then you can start over, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So the first step is, you know, we want to close it. We have two data centers that, that house these eight different applications. And so we're going to close those down, and that's good for um, for everybody, for right? <laughs> and then um, we're building the roadmap for 2020 and beyond. Well, let's talk about the roadmap for 2020 and beyond. I know you're building it, but uh, we've talked a lot about identity and access management, but there's other priorities, I'm sure, on your plate. We talked a little bit about cloud. What else are you working on? What are some of the big focus areas for 2020 and beyond? And beyond, yeah. And well, beyond. well, I mean, one of the things, and, and this is not atypical of um, federal government data, um, we, we do have some governance around cleanup of the data. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things that we weren't able to do in the legacy systems because the data wasn't transparent for everyone was now we have to, we've migrated all the data, now we have to make sure that what we have, our processes, our data collections, all of that, we have to make sure that we're getting good data. Because once it's transparent, people look at it and they, they like to assume that it's right. But as soon as they realize something's wrong, then you know they don't have the trust in the system. And so a lot of work needs to go in in 2020 to um, shoring up and making sure that we have good data to report on. To, and, and we're going to use Dashboard, we're going to use Tableau to, to start having people really look at the data so that if there are problems with the data, we can correct them. And the data we're talking about here is the data from the, your industry partners, the people, your customers, or the data from, you know, once you kind of get what they put in, you do a mashup, walk me through kind of the yeah, high so, level. Yeah. So imagine if a diplomat goes and visits a country, it, they <clears> might be interested in knowing how much was exported to that country, right, as just a talking point. And we want to make sure that that data is correct. And so one of our information collections might have multiple countries as beneficiaries of this license. And we don't know specifically the dollar amount okay. that goes to each country. And so you may we just say a million dollars, these five countries. These five countries. So what do you do with that? Yeah. Right? And, and what we want to do is be able to equip them with those kinds of talking points because they're important in diplomacy. And yet we have this problem in, in certain instances where it's five countries and there's a dollar amount and there's no easy way to, uh, you know, you don't divide by five, because that's just <laughs> not just, right. Right. <laughs> then you end up with, on average, right, what does that right, really mean? Right, all of that. And uh, so that means we have to get the data collected in a better way. And, and so another thing that we have been working on is a new information collection that would solve some of those problems so that we could more accurately uh, report on how much is being exported, you know, how much is being authorized for export in, in all these different countries. Now, I know the, probably the broad State Department has a chief data officer. Is mm -hmm. that somebody, is, that, is there a person in your office who has that type of role yet? Or is that something, again, maybe for 2020? Yeah, we're looking at 2020 to, to identify who will be sort of the, the liaison um, for that group. But we're working closely with uh, the chief data officer. It's acting right now right. in our management office of the Department of State. And data, I mean, every conversation I have with CIOs or, or chief information security officers or whomever, it always kind of comes back around to the data. 
you guys are you guys have the internal data too. Is that also something you're starting to focus on to, to help drive decisions, whether it's from a financial management perspective or procurement perspective? Sure, and and that, that's a that you know we just had a meeting this morning. I, I went downtown and had a meeting about how are we going to report and do a better job of understanding human resources and capital planning and you know all these other things. And that's something that we were never able to do in the legacy applications. Right, because you, you pulling that data from those legacy apps was probably so arduous or everyone hated the old, got to do a data call with Excel spreadsheet or exactly. access spreadsheet maybe. Exactly. <laughs> are, you, are you using this today? And then the Tableau obviously will also create, be able to create dashboards so that diplomat can go in hopefully and, and pull up a dashboard for these set of countries or this this country and see who the top exactly. exporters are. That That's exactly. probably the long-term goal. That's right, yeah. yeah. And that's not too far off provided the data is correct, right? Because, you know, it's very easy to uh, connect up with all different data sources with Tableau. And so, you know, we're really excited about it. I'm a little nervous because I'm worried about the data, though. And so that's why it's a longer term. We're going to take a quick break. My guest today is Karen Reggie, the Chief Information Officer for the Director of the Defense Trade Controls at the Department of State. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. Jason Miller's Reporter's Notebook is the insider's guide to the federal community. Subscribe at Federal News Network. What do government agency leaders really think about cybersecurity and identity management? Tune in on Wednesday, January 15th at 12 noon for the Innovation in Cyber Leaders series hosted by J.J. Green. Gain valuable insight from government and industry executives as they come together to discuss key topics in cybersecurity. The 2020 series begins with a focus on identity management. Join us on Wednesday, January 15th at 12 noon on Federal News Network, sponsored by Kerasoft. At Amentum, every day our dedicated team keeps government's most critical programs running safely and effectively. From nuclear operations and environmental remediation to mission support and sustainment, from threat mitigation to mission assurance, in critical infrastructures, facilities, and ranges here and abroad. With our culture of safety and operational excellence, we apply our experience, passion, and purpose to help our customers achieve their mission. We are Amentum. Experience. Passion purpose. You may not think of flu as a serious disease, but complications can lead to severe illness, hospitalization, and even death. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends everyone six months and older get a flu vaccine every year. Vaccines are available at doctor's offices, pharmacies, and local health departments. Protect yourself and your loved ones this flu season. Get a flu shot today. Learn more at cdc.gov slash fight flu. I'm Jared Serbia. Each week, our program on DOD features discussions with the military's top brass, with civilian executives, and defense thinkers on how the Pentagon operates. It's reliable information from the people making and executing policy. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Federal News Network, or subscribe to On DOD on iTunes or Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO, sponsored by Okta on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Karen Reggie, the Chief Information Officer for the Directorate of Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. Karen, before break, we started getting into some of your newer priorities. You talked about data. 
and, and the idea of cleaning up data. And you mentioned tools, you mentioned a couple different ones like Tableau and Elastic, but are there other tools you're looking at specifically maybe to help you get the cleaner data or to clean up existing data? We're looking at, at all kinds of different options for that. And I, I'm actually thinking about trying to get Gartner to help with some of their research with different products because there's just so much out there <laughs> that um, it really does help to, you know, sort of have a research, you know, someone who's not actually from a vendor um, selling their product, um, someone on the research side. So I'm thinking that that's probably the best way to think about that. And you may also get a couple calls now from this interview about okay. that. So right. I'll warn you now, I apologize now front when vendors call you. We'll get to that. We'll get to them in a second too. The idea of cleaning data up, I mean, that seems like a, an opportunity then to apply artificial intelligence, machine learning, and those type of emerging technologies. And so much it goes back to the beginning of our conversations, the user expectations, and, and I hear that from CIOs all the time now, which is so, again, refreshing from what it was five, 10, you know, 15 years ago, where we're talking to the mission more and more, and we have those kind of meetings. I mean, how often do you talk to your mission folks? I imagine every day. Every day, yeah. every day, and, yes. and it's no longer them throwing requirements over the transom, so to speak, and you going, okay, let's fill the requirements. How, how does the conversation work to ensure that you're meeting mission goals and they understand what technology can do? Because I'm sure that, I heard about this thing that can do this, can't you do it? And you're right. like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> right, so we have different project teams that work with the different organizations and they're literally talking to people every day, going down, asking questions, and it's an iterative process, as, as you can imagine. Right. You know, it's very agile. We come up with something, it's not quite right. The next week we come back and, you know, we get it closer. When you came to the Defense Trade Controls Directorate, was that culture already there? Is that something that you had to kind of shape the culture of, of not just the user-centric focus, but the agileness of it all? You know? Yeah, it was not agile yeah. when I got here. And, um, and the user-centric piece wasn't either. And this is an organization that has used the same technology for the last you know, since 2000. And so a lot of the people weren't even around when these systems were built. <laughs> and, you know, we get a lot of young people coming in and they're like, whoa, like, what is this? SQL, so, SQL so, backend. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, and so it's, and, and so it, because we have, I mean, I think the range of age is, you know, we have, we have interns, of course, that are in college, and then I think we have someone who's almost 80. And so, you know, we have a very wide range of generations in this ecosystem that internally. Because you have one COBOL system left and that person has to be, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm talking about the users. Oh, I mean, okay. most, of our, <laughs> yeah, most of our developers. Your missionaries. We, yeah, we, we only, I wanted to take a couple of the legacy people into the new project. And so we took about, about four people on both the network and the application side, only four. I mean, and people told me I needed 20. And I said, maybe, but I want to have four. And what I have found is that they have learned the new technologies and are very excited. So they've kept the store open, but I also had them working on the new technology as well as a way of, of making sure that you have the continuity of understanding. Because sometimes the users don't even understand all the requirements because the systems were built so long ago. So yeah. you, you kind of need the technologist to remind people, well, it did it like this because this is what was necessary. Is that still the case? The limitation, right? Yeah, exactly. You mentioned earlier, as we talked through identity and access management, that everything was uh, at FISMA moderate. Is there a need to go to FISMA high? Is there a need to do, do you deal with classified data, classified systems? We do um, deal with classified systems. We actually, for our 
uh, license adjudication process, we log in to uh, Citrix Farm over in DOD at DITSA. So that's where the classified piece is. And so the, the other thing that's really important about our environment that, that has been a huge challenge is going from the unclass to the classified system and back down to the unclassified and, and out to the internet, right? And so a lot of that, we're, we're needing to work with the main state um, IRM uh, IT area to try and get the cross-domain solution that allows us to go from the SPU, the sensitive but unclassified network, over to classified and do that in an automated way. Because right now, that's, um, that's done with human intervention. Is it multiple boxes underneath your desk and you're flipping one box on and then the yeah. other box? Yeah, that's and, what it is. And is the potential for identity and access management, because you guys are role-based, something that can further down the road get rid of that other box, or is that still? Yes, yes. Okay. I mean, right now, our legacy system puts a third box under the desk. Oh. So we're going to get rid of the third box first. At, at first. <laughs> and then, you know, hopefully, and this is where, um, I'm going to answer your other question, though, because we, we are at moderate, but mm-hmm. all of these cloud services, all the applications are going to be, in 2020, we're going to push them to high. And that's because of, you know, the sensitive nature of the technical data that is housed in these applications. Does that cause you guys any additional challenges, or is it really up to your vendors that support you, whether it's, you mentioned ServiceNow, you mentioned Microsoft, if they're there, then you're in good shape. I mean, we can inherit, of course, a lot of the controls from those cloud platforms if they're already at high. But there's there's a number of things that we have to make modifications to our configuration management plans, our you know all these other pieces that that can't legitimately cannot be inherited by the cloud providers. So it's a shared responsibility. A lot of work on our side, a lot of work on the side of of the vendor getting through the process of of getting up to high. ServiceNow is um, has a high platform, and so we'll be moving to that first. And I think that'll be done uh, by March. And then Microsoft Azure Government Cloud is high, uh, but we have to do our work to bring it up to high. So Microsoft doesn't have to do anything in that instance. You know, we have to get all of their documentation, and then we have to do what we need to do to get it to high. And then we'll have Okta and Box and Tableau and, and you know, the rest of the ecosystem. A lot of work there, and it's going to be, as you said, a busy 2020. Yes. You mentioned you're working with the bigger State Department, the Information Resource Management Office, the State Department CIO, on a cross-domain solution. How else do you work with them for shared services? You do, you, you know, whether it's financial management or, or you know, Office 365 email type thing, Walk me through your relationship with uh, the IRM folks. Yeah, so IRM has has a variety of shared services: email, Office 365, the network, the open network, open net network, and um, the classified network. They handle all of that, and so all these cloud services that I have have been procured. And and the other thing is, um, I'm really lucky in that um, we use defense uh, contractor fees, the application fees. Okay. Um, to fund all the work that we do, which is kind of nice. That's kind of <laughs> And so... And as um, exports go up, you, you have more fees, and exports right. come down. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Your budget gets cut. Exactly, oh. exactly. And so, so every year, every, every, every year um, you know, we kind of take a look at all of that. But what, but what, what I like is, is I'm a big believer in Fatera. Um, I, I actually 
uh, want to use enterprise licenses. I don't want to be my own special snowflake. I don't want to be um, having my own things that I'm doing my own things too. So the first point was was um, information assurance. That was the first touch point because you know you can't authorize a system without their blessing and without the CIO blessing the system. Um, so that's the obvious piece. But then going further through that, I have been a big advocate of having IRM have my instance, instance so that I can focus more on helping the, the, the internal users get better functionality to do a better job of the mission. Get, get rid of kind of that day-to-day uh, -day commodity IT. Exactly. I'll just plug in and, and, and not worry about it. Right, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll work with contractors and vendors and solutions that can do a better job of meeting the mission and, and you know, protecting national security. Exactly, important things. Karen, we're just about out of time. Before okay. I let you go, though, got to ask a question about vendors. I know a lot of vendors do listen to the program. What's your advice to them? How, how do you like them to work with your office? I get a lot of I, I, I get a lot of requests already. So you know, hopefully my um, email won't blow up too much over this. But I love talking to people about emerging about emerging technology. You know, the best way to reach me is probably through LinkedIn or or through an email. But I would say that there's a lot of times where I'm not going to take a meeting if it doesn't make sense in my ecosystem. And so I probably have two or three vendor meetings a week, which is probably a lot for, mm -hmm. for a lot of <laughs> for many CIOs. But more than more than anything, I'm looking to educate myself. I'm looking for vendors to educate me on on you know what's out there. And then does that create opportunities for people? I mean, that's how Okta came in. Okta called me. It was a cold call. And I tried to hang up on the guy like three times, <laughs> <laughs> but you know he spurred my interest. Said he was just that they had just gotten FedRep moderate and did a great job, and he got a meeting. You and it you know so and that's so, where it, that's where it ended. And the key is FedRep here as well, right? If you're going to provide you a solution in the cloud specifically. Yeah, I'm not looking at anything that doesn't have FedRAMP moderate at a minimum. Yeah. I will not look at it uh, at just mainly because not because of any other reason then I'm too small, I don't have the resources to go through the process of sponsoring a, a company to be in the FedRAMP process. And there's lots of very large organizations that have more bandwidth to do that. That's fair enough. Great advice. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time. Oh, no. So, so, oh, no. <laughs> we'll, have you, we'll have you come back on. <laughs> Let me uh, thank my guest. Uh, Karen Reggie is the Chief Information Officer of the Directorate of Defense Trade Controls at the State Department. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much. It was fun. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network, sponsored by Okta. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Ask the CIO. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.